Once in a while in this show, we're going to be doing long form interviews with either successful multi-unit franchisees or franchise supporters that will provide additional knowledge, tips, and best practices for you to be successful. This is one of those sessions. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the Franchise Success Formulas podcast, the place where you find the tactical and practical business and leadership knowledge you need to help you build a successful and scalable franchise enterprise. I'm Aisha Bascaro, the founder and CEO of the American Franchise Academy and a 30-year veteran in the franchise industry with experience in Fortune 500 global brands like Domino's Pizza, Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen, and Darden Restaurants. Franchise executive turned teacher and entrepreneur. Let's get started. Welcome to today's show where we are going to have a very special guest. This is in our series for Franchise Wisdom where we interview successful franchisees that are actually making things happen. And for today, we have a very special guest. His name is Sumange and he is a multi-unit franchisee, but I'm going to let him tell you all about him and his business. And let's go ahead and get started. Hi, Sumange. Welcome to Franchise Wisdom Session Show. <laughs> hey, Aisha. How's it going? Aloha. Aloha. That's right. Because <laughs> for those of you that are watching this, he's actually uh, hailing from Hawaii. So right. I'm sure a lot of people are going to be jealous of, of you, the <laughs> fact that you get to uh, spend time in Hawaii. Uh, but you're not only spending time in Hawaii. You actually have a very special situation where you're commuting back and forth. And I want to go in the history because the topic for today's conversation is how people, men and women that were at first the sons and daughters of franchisees that then take over their parents' enterprise and succeed with that. Because I know that there's, especially right now in the United States, there's a lot of franchisees retiring <clears throat> since really the peak of the franchise scaling you know, uh, times were 60s, 70s, and 80s. And so right now, a lot of franchisees are kind of aging out and saying, okay, we're done with this. And they're looking first at their family members to take over the business. You know, what we know some manga very well and so we wanted to share a story of one of those situations that end up becoming very successful it was a very successful process for them and learning you know to see what other people can learn from that because I know lots of people are in that situation so before we start that so manga can you tell us a little bit about first of all how did your parents become franchisees do you know that story yeah I, I do it actually happened about 30 almost 35 years ago both of my parents are actually immigrants. So I'm first generation American. So they've always wanted to achieve the American dream and ownership of a business or a home or, you know, something that most immigrants want to achieve when they come to this country. And my luckily my father had the foresight to to get involved with a franchise called Subway, which I think majority of your viewers probably know uh, Subway is. Back in 19, I think 85 or 86 or so, or around that time. And it was actually an ad in Success Magazine. And he was a flight attendant for Pan American Airlines back in the day. And Pan Am was going through that tumultuous uh, bankruptcy where they ended up switching over to United. At that, it really scared my mom and dad that there's really no job security. So really ownership, starting some type of business was the way to go and franchising. 
uh, really appealed to my mom and dad because uh, it was a turnkey operation. You know, you don't have to come up with a brand, you get all the support. And then he reached out and uh, talked to Fred DeLuca because <laughs> at the time, Subway in the 80s, I think was less than 2000 Subways at the time. And, you know, it, it was a very intimate time during those early 80s. I remember as a little kid going to the conventions, you know, meeting Fred and all the other franchises. It was almost like a picnic style. And now if you go re fast forward, I just went to the recent uh, convention back in Las Vegas in July. And it's like, you know, 10,000 franchisees, but we're like, 35,000 worldwide. It's unreal what Subway has done over the last 30 plus years. But yeah, so my parents, you know, started humble beginnings, uh, started in our hometown of Hawaii, Milani, uh, opened up, uh, they were the first franchisee and uh, opened up third store because uh, the previous folks was a development agent and they had to wait until um, things were built. But they were the first franchisee here in the state of Hawaii, which is really cool. Uh, you know, a lot of people thought they were crazy. Uh, you know, franchising was still kind of new. We had the big McDonald's, Burger King, but Subway is new. And people are like, why should I go to a store to buy a loaf of bread I, I mean, and sandwich when I could just go to a local grocery <laughs> to make my own sandwiches? They did that and started building. Uh, at one point, I think they had about 12 stores or so. My parents also expanded internationally to China and opened up uh, four Subways out there. Eventually sold that off. And then when it came close to retirement around the COVID years, they were at seven stores. At that moment, my parents, you know, you mentioned earlier, they're part of that generation that's aging out of the system. And there's a lot of, it's not only in Subway, but a lot of other brands. First offered it to, the, you know, the kids, myself and my two sisters. Okay, hold on, but let's go. Don't get too far ahead because I want to talk about that. Sure, um, go right ahead. First, I just yeah, want to yeah. come, you know, find out how your parents got into franchising yeah. because we are going to definitely get into the details of okay. how that handoff happened. So let's go back a little bit again in history. And your parents are now franchisees. They opened the first unit, second unit, mm -hmm. third unit. At some point in time, you were born. And what was your involvement during those years as the son of a franchise owner in the actual uh, organization? Yeah, so, I mean, the first... Franchisee, I was around six years old when they first opened their first store. Uh, so my involvement was just cleaning. I would <laughs> take the dustpan, sweep, you know, and I would do my homework or after school, we would be in the stores. I mean, I can remember most of my childhood being around a lot of subways, you know, following my mom and dad because, you know, it was busy growing multiple stores. And, you know, my parents, we, we didn't mind it too. My sisters and I, um, my oldest one was actually working. Uh, in the store as an employee, but my younger sister and I, we would just have fun, you know, just doing setups and whatever we could do as a little kid. Of course, we didn't violate any child labor laws there, but <laughs> <laughs> but it was fun. It was a lot of fun growing up, uh, participating in like local outreach. You know, we would pass out flyers and, uh, you know, who could say no to little kids passing out flyers or cookies or anything like that. So, yeah, you know, even ended throughout high school, too, um, I actually became like, you know, like a shift lead and worked in stores. And that was all fun. And then I went off to college and actually said goodbye to the family business for for some point. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I was going to say that um, even though you did grow up in that environment, you did not stay 
it made that a career. You literally just did that. I guess that was your high school job, right? Like all the kids That's get correct. their high school job. You were yeah. <laughs> uh, working in the in the units for your parents, and then you were yeah. okay. Then you decided to go to college and start a different a different career path. So you didn't make this a career. So tell us about you know why you, do you decide not to make that a career path? Maybe that wasn't even a thought, and you went yeah. off to college. And what did you study? And what did you become? What did you do with that? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, my passion was to be a pilot and one day airline pilot. So kind of took up the family business in a different way. You know, they were both, it was, it was interesting. I got, my parents were still working full-time in the airlines while building their subways. They had a part-time and a full-time. They were never full-time. It literally took them maybe 20 years after they fully retired. And then the last 15 years, they've actually been retired. So they yes. would still have full-time job while they were running their yeah. franchises. Yep, they worked for United Airlines as flight attendants, both of them, and were building the franchise um, units at the same time. Pretty impressive. And then 2001 is basically when they both uh, kind of started to fully retire from the airlines and then kind of went 100% full-time in the business. So yeah, it's interesting. Really hats off to them. And, you know, it's typical, whatever immigrant story here, you know, they, they just work hard, they're workaholics. But yeah, I, I didn't see it initially that that wasn't my plan of my career. I wanted to be a pilot. I decided to join the military. I went to the Coast Guard Academy as as a route to become a pilot. Uh, didn't you know we didn't have flight school right after the back, so I was on a ship for about two and a half years, a scientist ship, and then finally got into flight school and flew C one thirties for the Coast Guard doing search and rescue, drug interdiction missions, things of that nature. Uh, a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. So you did make your dream come true of becoming a, a pilot. Wow. So this that shows a lot about your focus and determination. You set objectives and goals and you work mm -hmm. hard for it until you make it happen, which makes sense to me because of everything <laughs> I do know about you and all the things you have accomplished. So how wonderful is that? I'm so happy for you. And by the way, a side note, my brother is a pilot. I don't oh, know if you that's, know that. I did not know that. Did yeah, not he know works that. for yeah. uh, Emirates Airlines right now. He's oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful cat. Be that's an awesome company. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. Okay, well, keep telling me about your story. Though. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I was in the Coast Guard for about, you know, 10, 11 years. Um, and my kids came in the picture. And we, my wife and I decided we wanted to kind of settle down. So I said goodbye to the Coast Guard. And uh, it was a lot of fun. Enjoyed it. And actually went into banking. So I worked at one of the, the top banks in the country, Citizens Bank's regional bank in the Northeast, and uh, became an auditor and then eventually shifted into the business banking sector, which I love, and just working with entrepreneurs. And that's kind of where my entrepreneurial bug hit me and my memories of working in a family business. And actually, my you know, my customers are all family. A lot of them are family owned and operated and you know, revenues up to from 500,000 to about 25 million. So it was fun just working and the insights of all the different sectors and things. And I had, a, I did have a lot of franchise uh, customers and those were always my favorites because I had, you know, an understanding. Of course, they love me because of my background. And when I was going through my MBA program, you know, that's where I was like, I really want to, you know, start something. I, I didn't know what it was going to be. Maybe it was going to do something on my own. And COVID hit. And then uh, that's kind of how opportunity came. And, you know, my parents said, hey, we're going to sell the business. Do you guys want to buy it? And that's how uh, we kind of started to get into. But I can talk a little bit more about that. I know yeah, you yeah, yeah. You know, something that I love about that is that they didn't say, hey, here are the keys, take it over. They no, say, you know no, what, we're going to sell the business. <laughs> yeah. You know, would, would you want to buy it? Which I think is, I think it's great because yes. 
a lot of franchisees, I believe, make the mistake of not doing that selling of the business and making their children kind of financially responsible and understand that they're on the hooks for it. Because, you know, there's something to be say about things costing you, right? And I assume that as you were working in the business and learning about making your dollars, right? I'm sure they're all paying you for the work that you did. You understood the value of that. And a lot of times, I think that is something that's critical for for really any children of entrepreneurs, of people that have a business, to have the, the kids understand the value of the business, the value of how it works, and then yep. things don't come free. Because otherwise, if, if it's just easy like that and they don't they don't have any you know stake in the game, the possibilities of them keeping it, there's history and there's case mm-hmm. studies that more than right. likely that next generation will lose it all. And so I love mm-hmm. the fact that your parents say, you know what, we're going to retire, but we're going to sell the business. Do you want to buy it? And yep, so absolutely. was that a surprise that he came that it came to you for that? Or do you already saw it coming or something you yeah. talked about growing up? Or was it, was it a surprise? Yeah, we, we talked about it here and there. We just didn't know if they're really serious, right? So, you know, first time the startup founders, right? It's their baby, you know, for 35 years, they raised this amazing company and, you know, organization that they kind of put together using the franchise model. And, you know, it's hard to give it up. So we we were never sure, like, okay, is this for real? This time we're really going to sell? Because there were back and forths here and there many years p- prior to the actual sale. But uh, it, it was real. I mean, COVID, it was a, <laughs> it was a signal for them, like, all right, time to get out. And yeah, they, they, probably said, they probably said, okay, we're done. This is, I mean, we've done our deal. Right. We worked all the time. I think it's time for us to yeah. really enjoy our life. Because I think if something that COVID taught us was, you just never know. You just never yeah. know what's going to happen tomorrow. And we need to be able to look at our lives every day and say, you know what? This is a life I wanted to live. And so they were probably, you know, ready to then pass on the baton and enjoy their yes. lives. You know, so I think that's actually uh, a very, very good thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though it took a little while for them to like separate. But um, <laughs> tell me about the process. Started the conversation yeah. and it's starting to decide, OK, here's how we do it. How do you manage the process in a way that was fair and he was mm-hmm. honest and he was yeah. b- b- relationship building because something like that could hurt the relationships you know uh between the family and that's one of the things that when this is not done properly i've seen it so many times umange yeah. where mm-hmm. families break they they get angry and and the legacy that the parents work so hard to build end up um being hurt at the end because of business and money and things like that. So how do you start the conversation? How do yeah. you structure Who helped you kind of, you mm-hmm. know, to make sure that it was done right, it was fair, um, mm-hmm. and it and kept the family intact? Yeah, that's that's a great question, Aisha. So for families and for anyone that's watching this, especially um the founders, right, of the of the company. I think it's always great to have a third party involved where there's no bias and you know, the, everybody can have honest conversations. So there's lots of companies out there, consulting companies um, that help and assist with family transitions and things of this nature, especially when it comes to business and things of that nature. Uh, so we definitely worked with a firm that, you know, specialize in family planning and trans transitional and legacy and things of that nature. And, and they were great. I mean, they got to ask, you know, my siblings and I, you know, what are our thoughts just before, you know, is this really something that we all want to do? Can we really work together? You know, do we have the same goals in line? And, you know, through that whole process, it was, it was great because we got to be fully honest, kind of have that kitchen table talk, right? 
yeah, this is this is what's going to happen. And I'm not saying that we're perfect. We're still learning our roles because, you know, it's one thing to say it before you take over. And then when you take over, it's like you're wearing like multiple hats. And that's not what we agreed upon, but it is what it is, right? When you're running a business. And then, of course, they also work with the parents, right? And just kind of figuring out what they want financially. You know, does this make sense? They look at the company. They help with the valuation. They help with the negotiation. And it really takes a pressure amongst between the parents. Now, don't 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 get it twisted. There's still back and forth negotiations between <laughs> Our parents and I uh, and my, my two sisters, but it, it, it came to a nice agreement. It did take a while. Um, and then eventually we settled on uh, a, a good you know, starting point for where we could go. And we executed the transition. So, you know, and that's a good point, because for you, it was not just you is you and your two sisters. So right. <laughs> there's a, an additional complexity. And the reality is that for most franchisees, that is the case. There are multiple siblings in the family and then trying to decide who to sell it to or who even wants it, because sometimes nobody wants it, right? And right. So, so that's what I, I love about your parents, that they say, look, we are going to sell. Now, any of you interested in buying it? And if nobody's interested, well, then that's okay. Then we're going to sell, right? And then we have our legacy, and that's what we use you know, for our, our a happy retirement. But having the ability to offer it to the children that you know that want, and then the one that wants to buy it, they actually buy it and so forth, so on. And, but in your case, all three of you wanted to be involved. Why did they all three of you want to be involved? I, I, I'm curious about that. Because obviously it could have been just you being in the mm -hmm. finance world and on the yeah. capital and management and all the business experience. But And of course, your sisters have been involved in the business growing up. But this is a whole other step. Owning, right. why did all three of you were interested? I, I think it's the legacy aspect. We know our parents worked hard to build something phenomenal that kind of you know enhanced our lifestyle growing up and we recognized also throughout that time that we could probably run it in a different way to grow the business in, in a way and I and I think my parents if they had the youth and energy they'll probably take advantage of all the cool things that are out here to really expand your business even further and manage it more successfully I decided to go in business with my sisters because both of them have a, a significant amount of operational experience um, my older sister, in college was the, practically the district manager for my parents' seven stores at the time or eight, whatever it was. Um, so she had some experience and she actually ended up in the, in the family business in the other way, going into airlines, <laughs> working for as a flight attendant as well. But my youngest sister, who I think is the, the queen and the gem and the secret weapon we have um, after college, she came back and worked in the family business and was a director of operations and almost had about 15, 20 plus years of operational experience. So combined with all three of us, we all bring our own skill sets, our backgrounds and experiences that I knew we could probably make this happen and, and actually take it to another level. So if I couldn't get them on board and they didn't want to work with us. I was not going to do this deal because we just can't. It's just it's just hard to manage just the business alone. And but and I know love and trust them so much that they will have the best interest because we're all invested and we got skin in the game and it's family. You know, we're building for the next legacy, the next generation. And like you brought up earlier, even when I was a banker, you know, second generation they do tend to lose it, but it's the third generation that really. The, the statistics just show it's even worse when 
you know, when businesses transition to the next generation, to the third generation. So hopefully we don't be a statistics, we'd be a statistic in a better way where it does transfer. And if the third generation doesn't want to take over, we'll have a backup plan to do something for them. And that is why I wanted to interview you and share this information with our audience, because you are a success story. You are an example of how to do it the right way so that the next generation can not only do well, but thrive. Right. And so yes. uh, and we're going to get to the thrive part. But is there anything in particular that you could share with, you know, with the people that are are, are watching this or listening to this? Um, what do you learn from the, the process? Because obviously going into the process of, uh, you know, purchasing your family's uh, business, you had assumed some sort of expectations or thoughts because, you know, you've been in banking. I assume you've been mm -hmm. seen or participated in merging or acquisitions. So yeah. so now that that whole process is done, the, the signatures are done and you are officially over, what have you learned about the process that you would uh, maybe give some tips to the people that are going to be going in that process in the process soon? Yeah, that's a great. Well, first, I mean, before we even took over, we had to get educated again on franchise owner because we were never a franchisee. And even though we knew the brand and Subway, you know, what's in our DNA, technically, <laughs> we ate a lot of sandwiches over the years. Uh, it, we didn't know truly how to really run a franchisee. And actually, you came in the picture early before we even made any true acquisitions. Um, and, and we kind of, you know, did your your commander course. That was really helpful because we could align some of the policies and operational, you know, strategy documents that we had to kind of align it to what you have as a management manual, which I think is crucial to have. I mean, it's your it's standard operating procedure to run and operate a store. And, you know, in the military, that's that's I love that stuff. Right. And banking, there's there's procedures. <laughs> And things and you have order there's no chaos um, not to say that we're not there yet but it's a it's a work in progress it's a living document so getting that was really helpful just to say okay this is the things we need to make sure we can run successful businesses we kind of are very familiar with a lot of the stuff that you have actually shared in your curriculum um so that was very helpful so that's what i uh, want folks to educate themselves about the process of really operating most brands They'll give you the brand operation aspects and the marketing, but they're not going to give you the operational aspects of the business. And that's a big piece that a lot of franchisees and entrepreneurs miss out. And if you don't have that understanding of what you're going to get involved with, you're absolutely going to struggle. Not, not so much fail, but why fail? Why, why don't you get the education first? educate yourselves before you even get started. And then, you know, it's, it's going to be a much more successful transition from the nine to five to an entrepreneurial um, experience, which is totally different. <laughs> so. You know what? That is uh, what a great point. You're right because as a as a as a son or daughter of a franchisee that grew up in that business and has been, you know, being in the operations side, being mostly an employee, and mm -hmm. seeing that perspective. Just because you are the son or daughter of a franchisee, it does not mean that you've been exposed to the management side of the yeah. business. You are exposed to the brand systems, the product, the service, mm -hmm. the image, maybe even the marketing procedures of the brand. But behind you know, the doors in the office or, or maybe in your dining room, right? your parents are doing the accounting and the hiring of the employees and and the, uh, like I said, staffing and turnover and, and promotions and defining salaries and pricing and reading profit and loss statement and all the business management side that the brand does not provide. 
Mm -hmm. As an employee, as a son of a business, usually parents don't sit down, hey, let me show you the profit and loss statement. And let me show you how we make this the financial right. decisions and how we lead our people and how we decide how much, how much we pay them. Uh, you're right. The sons and daughters don't have that perspective. They think that because they worked in the business, they know everything about it. And then they find that, you know, that shock. And and yeah, you were very different from a lot of uh, people that came to us, to our program. And you got educated about what it is like to be a franchise owner and what it takes to be successful. And that's something that always impressed me about you, that you and your sisters were proactive in getting educated so that when it was time to take over, you would do it not just as well as your parents, but you actually were determined to do it better than your parents. So that was really great. So definitely that is one something that is a great tip for it. <laughs> And yeah, I would say the other team is surround yourself with a good team. You know, you, you definitely want a good accountant, bookkeeping team, uh, a good admin team. If you're buying, some folks might be just buying one store. You probably won't need it right out right out the back. But if you're buying for those of are, you know, looking to acquire their first franchise, like a four unit deal, you're definitely going to need some type of admin assistance to help you out with that. And it could be virtual. It could be um, somebody in person. So it's it's whatever that kind of works best for you. Uh, legal teams as well uh, to help with the due diligence of, you know, the acquisitions that you're going to buy, insurance. Um, I mean, you name it. It's just, you know, finding the payroll companies, doing all that, you know, what's the best company. And then also do their vision and mission align with what your mission and vision align. You know, do they, do they see an opportunity to grow with? And all of our vendors are all invested in us and they you know we know their names we know the prep the, um, the reps for all these uh, firms that we work with and we want to know are they they're going to grow with us and help us you know achieve our goals and and I, I strongly recommend is really finding a good team to work with I love that yeah definitely and uh one of the things that uh also the the things that draw drove you and your sisters to acquire the business was not just to acquire that business because that seven unit, you know, franchise, multi-unit franchise enterprise was great and it yes. sustained and supported the family and gave, you know, uh, them and, and you guys the financial stability to be able to do well and pay for college and, you know, vacations and all those yeah. things. But if you're going to divide it into three families, that's not enough. And that yeah. was not your goal. Your goal, really, okay, we're taking over an enterprise, but let's us build an empire. So, so. I assume that's one of the motivators for you to buy the business. Tell me about about the motivators and and what uh, what is it that you are looking to build and create with yeah. your sisters? Yeah, I mean, growing up, you know, when we go to conventions, we met a lot of strong multi-unit operators. Um, some folks that had, you know, 10, 50, 200, uh, 150. And I always wonder why couldn't our family do that? Same questions were on the minds of my two sisters as well. And that's why, like I said, I want to come back. And I, I know I shouldn't pay me to say all this, but your material was very helpful because it gives the blueprint and how, you know, to really be successful in one store, then four, five, six stores, you know, how you transition the multi-unit leadership aspect of it. So it's definitely doable. It's, and we're in that growing pains right now. It's not easy. It's definitely, you know, acquiring units, especially if they have different owners that don't operate the same way we do. It's it's a lot, you know, changing the culture, transitioning folks out, uh, bringing in new leaders, and having everybody beat to one drum, right? It's not easy. But we're open to the challenge. 
And we decided to go the expansion route and acquisition route rather than development route. So we went from seven in less than one year, we went from seven to 17 stores. We more than doubled our units of operations and of course people. And it's been interesting. I, I would say it's been great. I learned a lot. We've learned a ton. We've made a lot of mistakes. We still continue to make mistakes, but we learn from them and we try not to do it over again. But it's just made us stronger because now we know when we go in to buy additional units, a subway brand, uh, we know exactly what we're looking for. We can definitely evaluate businesses ourselves without, you know, any third party assistance. Uh, we know what to look for, you know, because you, you make your money when you buy a restaurant, just like in real estate. And you want to get it at a certain multiple. Uh, which is basically a profits or sales. And it depends on how you do it. And you just got to get to that point where it makes sense for you financially. And then what can you do with that opportunity to increase the valuation of that um, unit? Because, you know, we don't know where we're going to end up, you know, are we going to do this for seven, 10, 15 years, but we have evaluation in mind that if we can hit a certain goal, we would position ourselves for a sale, but we have a lot of time, <laughs> so it's going to take at least a seven to 10 year goal where we want to reach out. And, and one of the great thing about this, Aisha, too, is that, you know, now we're building true wealth, right? It's, you know, we're going to take the proceeds and really continue to enhance the legacy that, you know, our parents kind of laid the foundation for to not only look at Subway, but invest in other vehicles such as real estate or other businesses and things of that nature. The franchise model is a really great starter, I would say, for a lot of folks that are entrepreneurs because it's, it's kind of you have a routine, you have SOP. Um, and I think it's really great rather than doing a startup. Um, but at the end of the day, it's just, you know, just execute on the daily things that work, manage a couple metrics and that are very important to your business and just, you know, get educated along the way and surround yourself with amazing team members to help you grow the business. Mm. Look at all those best practices that you're giving uh, the people that are listening to this and, and to learn from you and your experience. That's fabulous. So you have focused on acquisitions. And while your initial base of seven units is based out of Hawaii, you have not shined from going a multi-state, <laughs> even though the, any any state from Hawaii is far, far away. But the, right. the fact that you have decided to do that, having sisters, you know, that are flexible and can live in other places uh, has mm. absolutely helped for that. So, and, you know, of course, Subway, like many other franchise organizations today are very friendly to the multi-unit model. They Almost want- definitely, yes. Yeah. Right. When you agree, I mean, you, I'm sure you, you, did you see that before you acquired or do you notice how passionate yeah. they were about it? After? Yeah, we, we've seen it before we acquired, not only for Subway and Subway, I think really is working with a lot of multi-unit operators um, because there is a lot of folks in the brand aging out a, a tremendous amount, you know, Subway's an older brand. Um, but, you know, if we went to the multi-unit conference back in Las Vegas with you, it was a lot of fun, but they love multi-unit operators, right? Because we're not buying one, we're buying th at a minimum three or five. And then, you know, who knows? And it's just easier for a brand to work with one person versus five people, right? It's just a lot easier for the brand. And, you know, a lot of them are experienced operators. So yeah, Subway was really pleased and happy. They love seeing legacy transitions happen because, you know, like I said, it's in our DNA. 
And the fact that we had the ambition and the goals to expand and continue to acquire subway other subway stores, um, it was a great fit. And kudos to the subway team really helping us with the transition too. So, I, you know, it's been great. And yes, we're in multi-states. <laughs> it doesn't come with any without any difficulties with that. But I think we've positioned ourselves location-wise where we can make that happen and finding good leadership, such as district managers, to really help and operate our stores. Because we can't do this by ourselves. We definitely need uh, a team and and good people to kind of help operate these units. Mm, Yeah, no, definitely. And and being able to go from having this enterprise and being, you know, building your legacy and like you said, the true multi-generational wealth that you guys are now committed at creating, uh, I think it's it's a great uh, game to play. And I'm sure it's fun, even though it has challenges. And so the fact that so many franchise organizations, you know, brands, I meant franchisors, are so focused on going the multi-unit. One of my recommendations, I'm sure you probably back me on this, is Mm -hmm. that if you truly want to go from having, if you have a one-unit job, one, I call it one franchise unit owner a job, (laughs) right? Um, To go into truly an enterprise, you need to go multi-unit. And yeah. that multi-unit is what's going to give you first your freedom, financial freedom, but then eventually mm-hmm. your true, you know, generational wealth. And so make sure that you get educated. I want to be a little pitch in there for our, our <laughs> commander program, a franchise program that teach you what it takes to be a successful multi-unit franchisee. But that's all I'm going to say about that. Reach out to me yeah. or the academy if you want to learn more about it for sure. But yeah, it's definitely something that we strongly, with our commitment every day. So, so tell me, so you're starting in your journey right now, going to a, expanding your, your enterprise into now 17 units, right? You're going from mm-hmm. seven to 17 in less than a year. Yeah. And um, you will learn a lot of lessons. You're still learning, I'm sure. Yes. So, oh yeah. In Most this definitely. early process. Yeah. In this early process of learning and mostly acquisitions, have you opened mm-hmm. any at all or is it all acquisitions? All acquisitions right now. All acquisitions um, it, right now. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's just for our brand specifically, there's a lot of opportunity mm. to help transition, uh, work with owners that want to transition. And, and the great thing about it too is that the owners do recognize our value because, yeah, they can get a certain price, but at the end of the day, they still care about their employees. And if you can have a great conversation, you know, for those that are negotiating, it's not build that rapport with the owners um see what they truly want you know if it's just they just want out and it, it is what it is but if this sometimes it's more than that they want to make sure that their employees are well taken care of and if you can convey that, that sometimes you may make a lower offer than somebody else but because your rapport and your um your commitment to continuing their legacy in a way actually outweighs more than the final bottom price that they're going to get so I just want to put that out to your viewers too. It's just, it's not all about the numbers sometimes. It's that, that um, emotional aspect that you have to address with the owners when you're doing acquisitions. Yeah. And, you know, and let me tell you a little bit about that. I'm sure that when you sit down with them and you show them the career path you created mm-hmm. for your organization and you share the recognition programs you create for your organizations and the salary strategy you have created to help elevate the people and give people the opportunity. Do you share the type of things with them so that they see that, you know, you taking over their business is going to really actually elevate their people? We, we touch on it a little bit because um, they do ask us, you know, what do you do, whatnot. But um, 
in the transition, once the deal's about to happen, we do kind of meet with the entire crew and the previous sellers, and we talk about our vision and goals. And a lot of a lot of that does come into effect when we talk about their you know, salaries and things of that nature, benefits that do come with a multi-unit operator versus a single unit. So it does, the excitement does happen and it's great. So mm. we do, yeah, it's great. Oh, love it. So going back to the initial, now that you're going through, and I would call it, you know, it's been a year. So the initial learnings, I guess one of the learnings will be that it's not always all about the money. I mean, obviously you got to pay for a price, but you yeah. might be able to make it a little bit favorable if you actually get to know the people and have them know what you, what you're planning to do. Is there any other tips that you want to share with people that are going, that could eventually venture into these acquisitions that they could learn from and keep an eye for, or make sure that they pay attention to as they're going through? acquisitions? Well, first one, get educated, right? On the process and whatever brand it is. If it's a new emerging brand, it's really hard, you know, to talk to current franchisees. But if it's a well-established brand like Subway, it's it's great to talk to many owners to see what their gripes are, what the positive pros and cons are. Just learn about that. And then of course, there's like consultants like your firm that, you know, helps franchisees get educated on the operational side of the, the business is, is definitely, you know, a number two step that you have to take. And then number three is definitely your team. Um, like I said, I can't stress enough how important it is to have a good team of accountants, legal, bookkeeping, admin, uh, payroll. Uh, it's all critical and, and very important to running the daily operations of your team. And I guess fourth is really, you know, have a goal, you know, set what is it you truly want. Um, sometimes we lose uh, sight of what we're truly doing, <laughs> you know, and, and you're like, why am I doing this? <laughs> and no, it's a long-term play. I think in business, um, we, we live in this instant gratitude kind of moment in this world. And a lot of the younger generations may sometimes miss the mark at, at times with that. It, it's a long-term play. So build wealth very slowly. And it's going to come, I think, you know, and I've seen it per first, firsthand with my with my family. Um, so we know it works. Uh, we just got to do the work and be prepared to do the work <laughs> and have that mindset that no matter what, you're going to overcome any obstacles because you are going to have obstacles from equipment failures to lease issues to uh, employee issues, people, <laughs> customers, you know, and but then. The great reward is when you see employees cry when they get their bonus check. And it's something that they've never seen like that before. It's it's the it's the individual when you create a scholarship program for your people and they're overcome with joy. And a high school kid is like, wow, I, I didn't know how I was going to pay for my books kind of thing. It's those moments that make it so worth it that sometimes is, you know, it kind of rewards you, it fulfills you. Uh, and then not, not only that, the financial aspect took two of that. It's it's a good plus and motivator as well so mm. yes absolutely the financial is is there too is i think it's a whole is the whole package right is the personal and is the financial and everything else that is really great and you and the impact that you get to make in all those families i mean there's so much to be said about the wonderful thing about franchising and really business ownership but yeah. franchising just makes it a little bit easier i think than if you go on your own so yeah. uh, to close this conversation, which has been great, Subanga, thank you for your time. I'm just thinking about, you know, the kids right now, the teenagers that are, you know, working in their parents, you know, businesses because their parents make them do it or and they may or may not like it. And uh, mm -hmm. they, they're, they, they maybe have not even thought about the possibility of, 
you know, eventually taking over the business, which it would be something that is a possibility for them. What would you tell those teenagers uh, as to, <laughs> you know, whether, you know, what they should do if, you know, like maybe anything that they need to do to prepare themselves, because if their mm -hmm. families have built this, like, how could they take advantage of this for the future? I mean, what, what would you tell those teenagers? What would you tell yeah, yourself no, when you were a kid? Yeah. Yeah, I, I would tell, you know, if I had talked to kids that are a part of the family business, and I have actually, because, you know, when I was in banking, I worked with a lot of second generation members as well, and just kind of say, how do you, you know, what made you decide to, to join the family business? Ask this question. I, I, I would say, don't look at it at what it's currently operating the way it is. Um, you may have a positive or negative experience, you know, growing up, you may not have seen your mom and dad, and you're like, you know what, I don't want that kind of lifestyle where, you know, I go into it and, and there was sometimes for me, even that's why I was like, I really, it turned me off a little bit because I wanted to do my own path. But then you also have to look at the possibility, right? You also say, okay, well, maybe they're operating in a different way. Like, is there a way that you can still have a somewhat balanced lifestyle and operate a successful business that provides you with all the financial well-being you need in order to live? Um, yeah, you look at it at that aspect. So you kind of look at it at, at it like a glass, you know, half full kind of opportunity rather than half empty. And maybe you can do something with this business and take it to the level. Now it's not for everyone. If you don't have the skills or the education or the will, I would say will is probably a hundred times more important than the attitude. As long as you have that, you can truly overcome that but you got to get the education you got to learn the skills you got to put the time into work if you decide you want to embark on an entrepreneurial career if you're not willing to do any of that kind of work then yeah i think there's another there's lots of other careers out there that's probably best suited for you but you know have a vision have a goal see the possibilities of what could happen you know if you're a second generation family member and and uh take action on it every day yeah, because it's definitely not for everybody. It is not for everybody. There's some some of the kids that, you know, you were off going to another career because if you're not willing to embrace everything that comes with being a franchise owner, then you are risking in losing that legacy. So so for sure. Well, thank you very much. So in closing, what are, what are you looking for? Like, what's your future? Like, yeah, I know you're building a, an empire. What, I mean, <laughs> I, is it just in Subway? Just, I, I know you mentioned about divesting yeah. your investment into other things, but as far right. as Subway is concerned, you know, how far do you want to take it? And, and be aware that Subway people are going to be watching this probably. <laughs> oh, that's fine. That's so fine. What, and what's, I your, what's, what's your vision for, for the brand and that part of your business? Well, for any Subway owners that are in Hawaii or Louisiana, please reach out to me. We're, we're looking to expand no matter what, uh, if it makes sense, of course. But uh, we would love to have the conversation. But secondarily, you know, we like to get to a certain number. We have a goal in mind um, financially, more so rather than unit count. We want to, we're looking more at opportunities where we can turn stores around or very well stores, like the great store, they're operating at a really high level and it'll just be a great addition to our portfolio to add to um, the overall operations. Um, so, you know, we're still actively growing Subway. I think we'll probably do continue to do that for the next two years. And then from there, we may make a decision, okay, you know, what other vehicles can we start to invest some of this cash flow that we're, we're earning? Uh, what other, you know, better rates of returns could we get? And real estate might be an opportunity, owner operating uh, real estate where we can buy a building and operate a subway on it. 
do we strategically go after those types of um, types of investments? Um, also, possibly looking at another brand for sure. Uh, we don't know that's what we truly want to do. So, honestly, I think we're we're at a point right now. We're in growth mode. We are blinders on all. We're laser focused. We're focusing on one brand. We're not trying to be involved. We we are looking at other brands, but it's just like, all right, that's pretty cool. We'll put that on the side. But it's a nice thing. Nice. It's a shiny object. <laughs> exactly. We know that. And we don't like, want we don't want we don't want shiny objects. We want yeah, the we eye want on the prize. We talk about that all the time. Shiny objects are very distracting, and they're they're beautiful. They're sexy. We want to. I'm like, yeah, we, let's do it. But we'll keep that there. We're, we're late. Like I said, we're 100 laser focused and growing the band. And I think what the current executive team is fantastic. They're they're a new team. Lots of growth. Um, for those watching, you've seen a lot of subway commercials. So. They have a really strong strategic plan for the six, seven, 10 years. And we just want to ride that wave, right? We want to be a part of that, be a part of the solution. And and, and then when it comes to a point where a bigger fish wants to buy us out or whatnot, they are more than welcome to buy it at the right multiple that makes sense for all of us. <laughs> but if not, it's okay. We've, yeah. we've seen the aspects of holding on to it for 30 years and also transitioning it to the next generation. So we have two great exit plans, I think, in play right now that could work for our family and possibly other opportunities to get invest in other vehicles. Mm, mm, wonderful. So, so enclosure, if you are anywhere in the Hawaii uh, market or in the Louisiana market and you are willing or looking to exit your business and your children are not the ones that are going to do it, please reach out to Sumange. You can actually reach out to us at the AmericanFranchiseAcademy.com. Send us a little message in there and we will be happy to connect you. Um, and uh, he it was, it's a great leader. Him and his sisters are doing it the right way. They're learning all the processes. Uh, they have amazing uh, processes and procedures for their team management. There are, you know, the revenue that these, they're managing, the profitability, which is allowing them to grow. And of course, the scale systems that now they've gone from seven to 17 units in less than a year. And uh, obviously, getting educated is very important. So thank you very much. Uh, Zumange, as always, you are amazing. I'm so glad that you chose us to be able to guide you in the management process of being a multi-unit franchisee. And I look forward to seeing you in the next Mastermind. That's right. Thank you, Aisha. Thank <laughs> I appreciate you very it. Much. Same here. Thank you, everybody, for being with us in today's show. I hope that you got a lot out of it. I'm sure I, I did and excited to hear all that from one of our uh, great clients. And remember that one unit is a job. Going multi-unit is a franchise enterprise. And that's really what the freedom is, which is where we help you get there. And if you have a family and hoping that you're one of your kids take over your business, listen to this podcast, this show, and make sure that you listen to what uh, all the learnings that Sumange and his sisters had so that you can do it the right way. So you can not only protect your financial legacy, but also your family legacy and the love and care you have for each other. Thank you for being with me today. And we'll see you in the next show where we can teach you more best practices, tips, and knowledge on how to be successful. Thank you, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Franchise Success Formulas podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please do me a favor and subscribe to our podcast so that you never miss a show. And leave a review so that other people like you can find us and receive the value that you just did. Here at the American Franchise Academy, we have an important mission of protecting the American dream of business ownership through franchising. And with your help, we can do a lot more of that. 
Thank you for being part of our community and see you next time.